the circumcision of our hearts. That in Israel, with the Israelites, there was the physical sign of circumcision, the cutting away of the flesh, which was significant in what God would ultimately do in Jesus Christ in taking away the flesh, the carnal nature of man, the sinful nature of man, with a circumcision not made with hands, the circumcision of the heart. And the song says, I'll not grow that wicked skin which cannot remember what I will not forget. What is it that we must not forget? How he was broken and how we are broken. And when we talk about how we are broken, we need to understand that in two ways. We need to understand that we are literally, truly broken. And we cannot fix ourselves. Have you ever known someone who's a fixer? I call them fixers. Oftentimes, you know, maybe I'm visiting with a a couple who's having problems in their relationship. And, And oftentimes it is the wife. I'm not picking on you ladies. But oftentimes it is the wife who feels compelled to fix her husband. And she spends all of her time trying to fix her husband. And the reality is, (laughs) there's only one who can fix us, and that's God. And this is why the scripture talks about, let your quiet demeanor, women, speak to your husband. Say, well, that doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Don't worry, guys, I'm going to get you today. Uh, But we need to understand how, how we are broken. That we truly are broken, but, but we also need to become broken. And to become broken means to come to a place of understanding that we can't fix ourselves. That only the power of God, only the grace of God, only Jesus Christ can heal us and make us whole. I haven't watched it. I haven't um, really heard anything other than uh, I know Cindy Whaling went yesterday to Houston. And um, to be honest with you, I haven't, didn't pay a lot of attention leading up to that prayer event yesterday. But I was very thankful that the event took place. And I've heard really, uh, in the, the few things I have heard about it, I've heard really good things. Um, but... Mainly, what I really think that we need to understand, and I I don't know, some of the things I did hear leading up to it were the controversy. There were protesters everywhere. There were pastors, Christians protesting because our governor wants to pray. And, you know, very well could have been politically motivated, but maybe it wasn't. Or maybe it was both. But the reality is... God has said in His Word that if a nation will humble itself and pray, God will move. And I think one of the greatest problems that we have today as a people, and I'll use that word inclusively, as a nation, 
And in that nation, in that people, even within the church, as we have forgotten how we broke Him and we have forgotten that we are broken and that we are in need of a God to heal us. We are in need of a God to move on our behalf. And have we become so proud and so arrogant that we will refuse to call upon that God? My neighbor, an elderly gentleman who keeps his cattle on my pasture, and I still have water in my tank, and he still has water in his tank, but it's getting mighty low. There is no grass. There's nothing for those cows to eat except what he ships in. It's becoming very expensive for him to ship hay in, and he's seriously thinking about getting rid of his cows because he doesn't know what else to do. He'll call me, and he called me yesterday and wanted to know if he could borrow something. That probably was his anyways. I said, that thing's been sitting out there for years. I said, probably yours. I said, I don't use it. It was a thing to try to provide liquid supplement for his cows. And, uh, and he says, I don't know. I don't know about this drought. He said, I don't know what the good Lord has planned, but we have to trust he's got something. I don't know what the good Lord's purpose is in all of this, but I have to trust He has a purpose. And He always says the good Lord, (laughs) which I think is kind of neat. And after His phone call yesterday morning, I I came up here because we had opened the church to have prayer from 10 to 2. And I appreciate uh, those that came. I appreciate Leslie for coordinating that and, and, and... and faithfully praying, Leslie and Myra and, and, and all the ones, Ron, and, and the ones that come on a regular basis to pray. And, and, but as I was coming up here yesterday morning, I was thinking about that statement of my neighbor. And I thought, what, what good? And I don't know the answer to this question. What, God, what good? This was my question to God. God, what good can come from this drought. I don't see anything good about it. Everything's dying. The trees are dying. The, my dog sits on the porch <laughs> all day long because he's so hot. I say, God, what good? And you know, I, I don't know the, the, the answer to that question, but here's what I know. God is good. And I love when my neighbor talks to me about this thing. He always says, I don't know what the good Lord has in store, but he's got something. Do you believe that the good Lord has something in store? He does. Well, how, how, let's just take the drought for example. How is a drought going to be broken? Well, I think prayer is a real good start. I think prayer is a really good start. And it may just be that God in His eternal purpose has ordained that this drought will be broken through the prayers of His people. 
Or maybe this drought is just a, 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 a small part of something larger that God is doing in our nation. Maybe a better question is, what is it going to take for a nation to be broken? What is it going to take for a nation to return to her God and look to her God, not her president, not her government, but to her God? And if the church doesn't look to God, then why would we expect a world to? Or a nation to. And I believe God is issuing a challenge. The challenge is there, whether God issued it or not. The challenge is before us. We call ourselves the people of God, the children of God. What does that mean? What does that mean for for you personally? What does that mean for? This body of believers. What does that mean for our city? What does that mean for our state? What does it mean for our nation? That we call ourselves the children of God. What does that mean? Why has God placed us here? Why are you in Taylor? Why has God put you here? Some of you may... Ponder that. Some of you may just take it for granted and that just flies right over your head. Why are you in this central Texas region? Why are you here? You're born here. Who caused you to be born here? <laughs> did, you, did you pick the place you were going to be born? Huh? Did you pick your parents? You say, God, you know, before you birth me, I think I would really like to live. No, you didn't have that choice, did you? So we could say that God ordained you to be here, couldn't we? Either by birth or however you came to be here. And some of you and some of us have come to be here in some really strange ways. Some of us have come here in ways that... that as the process was taking place, might not have seemed very good. But you're here. Do you believe you're here because God has ordained you to be here? Amen. Jesus said that we're salt and we're light. What does that mean? has significant meaning, I believe. Now, believe it or not, uh, today is going to kind of be an introduction. And I want to talk to you over the next however many weeks. Maybe it'll just be one or two more weeks. I don't know. Uh, I want to talk to you about families. I want to talk to you about husbands and wives and children. Because... What does that have to do with? Well, it has everything to do with the church. Because the Bible calls us a family. The Bible says that God is our Father. Paul even refers to the church as our mother, believe it or not. 
And so there, there is something significant about family. And I decided to do this because we're, we're right at the... Um, we're right on the verge of sending our kids back to school, and, and there's all kinds of things surrounding that that we could talk about. Uh, and it all goes back to this, this reality that we have forgotten something. We have forgotten something about who we are. We have forgotten something about who God is. We have forgotten something about what we are called to be and therefore called to do. And what we're called to be and what we're called to do cannot be done on our own. And this is why Jesus told His disciples, and in telling His disciples, He is telling us, And I'm speaking to you assuming that you are all his disciples. I'm speaking to you assuming that you are all members of his church because you're here today. Now you might not be. And if you're not, I absolutely believe the Spirit of God will convict your heart. And your heart should be convicted. Paul and the writers of Scripture wrote to the church, to the children of God, but yet we know from Scripture that they were not all children who received the writings and the letters. Moses spoke to a nation as members of a covenant, covenant people with a covenant God, and yet a whole generation dropped dead in the wilderness. Why? Because of their unbelief. So as believers, as disciples, there are things that we need to be conscious of and aware of. And I I absolutely believe this. I believe the things that are taking place in our nation, in the world around us, are taking place because God is trying to cause His people to awaken. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5, let's begin in verse 14. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We're living in a time, and this time is not unique, but this is the time we are living in. This is the time of our visitation on this earth. And the Lord may return during this time of our visitation, or we may pass on And it will be another generation that sees the return of the Lord. I don't know that. And to be honest, that should not be the thing that is in the forefront of our mind. Because the reality is, sooner than later, we are all going to see the Lord. (laughs) Whether He comes 
splitting open the eastern sky or whether we pass this life and pass into eternity by way of the grave, sooner than later we are all going to see the Lord and meet Him face to face. And so the question I think needs to be asked of ourselves, how are we walking? Are we walking circumspectly as wise or are we walking as fools? Paul says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you life. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Paul wrote that about 2,000 years ago. And he said, we need to redeem the time for the days are evil. Guess what? We need to redeem the time because the days are evil. Today. Right now, we need to redeem the time. Right now, the days are evil. They are. But God is good. And the power of his gospel is greater and more powerful than the evil of our day. The light will dispel the darkness. Have you ever turned a light on in a dark room and seen the darkness overtake the light? Why doesn't that happen? Because there is a fundamental truth in the physical and spiritual universe that darkness cannot dispel light. Light will always dispel darkness. Do you know that? Do you know that? It's important that you know that. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now, everybody say now, but now you are light. Where? In the Lord. Walk. Walk, children. Walk. Walk as children of light. Back to verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is coming out of our life? Is dissipation coming out of our life? Or is the life and the power and the fruit of the Spirit coming out of our life? How are we walking, church? How are we walking? Has the Lord become like this third line on my note up here? Has he become something that I'm not mindful of anymore? Something that I can't see anymore? Well, I think we could say as a nation, that's not a far-off descriptor. When we have pastors who profess to be Christian protesting because our leaders want to pray, there's something wrong with that. They obviously are missing something that they should be able to see, but they can't see it. When we have people 
of a nation suffering, whether it be from drought or floods or whatever, economic destruction, who are more upset because we have leaders who profess faith in God than than what's going on in the nation, we've got a problem. Now, some of those people, I don't, I don't, I don't blame them for anything because they're just flat out lost. And what, what can we expect of them? But when we have the church or those who profess to be the church, now then we have a problem. So remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 9. In his great discourse there, he makes this statement. He said, not all Israel are Israel. In other words, just because they're physical descendants of Abraham doesn't mean that they are the seed of Abraham. But the seed of Abraham, the children of Abraham, they are those who are of faith. Well, we could say the same thing today about the church. There's a lot of people that go to church week in and week out. But just because they come to the church building doesn't make them a church or the church. I love what Keith Keith Green said. You can go to McDonald's every day and it won't make you a hamburger, right? You can come to church every day. It's not going to make you a Christian. But the church, who is the church? We should be seeing and discerning, not to condemn and cast stones, but so that we can pray. So that we can be salt and light. So that we can convince and rebuke and teach and warn. This is what Paul says in the book of Colossians. This is what we are to do. Let me just read that for you because I can't say it better than the apostle Paul wrote it. Colossians 1.28 Him we preach, Christ we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all Wisdom, warning and teaching every man in all wisdom. We need to look around and we need to understand that there is a time from the discernment that God gives us that we need to warn and we need to teach every man. We're living in a day where people are forgetting. This isn't something new. You read the Old Testament. I think one of the, I don't think, I know. One of the reasons God preserved the scripture for us and recorded the things that he recorded in there is because we will make the same mistakes that those children made in our Old Testament. We read the stories And we read the stories and say, you know, I would never do that. Oh, really? We are just as carnal. We are just as prone to failure as they are. And so what does the writer of Ecclesiastes say? Hey, history will continue to repeat itself. Why? Because man will continue to forget. And God will bring man back to remembrance, cause him to remember And then when it gets to that point where we realize there's no other answer but God, what are we going to do? We're going to humble ourselves and pray. Now, that's not a cycle of continuous defeat. We talked about this today in the Bible study. I thought it was an interesting 
point in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in, in the beginning of that chapter, Paul brings up, uh, or he uses the, the term latter times to Timothy. Well, now we're 2,000 years on the other side of that letter, and, and it's still the latter times. And it's not that Paul was telling Timothy something that was going to happen 2,000 years later. He was telling him something that was going to happen then. It was happening right then. The thing is, it continues to happen. But along with that continuing to forget, and man in his carnal nature continuing to revert back to, along with that, there's something else that's happening. Jesus said it like this. I brought this up a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said what? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which leavens the whole loaf. And he said in, in Luke 17, 21, he says, the kingdom comes without observation. The kingdom is within you. That doesn't mean the kingdom doesn't come. Remember we said it's like you watching your garden grow. Just because you sit out there and you don't see your garden grow for two days doesn't mean your garden's not growing. It is growing. But it doesn't grow with observation unless you have a time-lapse camera. You ever seen those things where they speed them up? You know how long it takes for that to really happen? But it's growing. You might not see it, but it's growing. In 2,000 years on the other side of Pentecost, right now, I'm telling you what, the kingdom of God has advanced. It is leavening the loaf. It's happening right now. But the whole time that's happening, you know what men are doing? Men are still forgetting. We as a nation birthed what? Some 235 years ago? Is that right? You look at the founding of this nation. You can go back and read founding documents. You can read letters written and you can see things that required men to be professing covenant members of the church, of Christianity, or they could not hold office. You see things in those original writings that, that today... Not, not only would they never teach that, they are working hard to cover those things up because they don't want you to know that. And so we've come to today where we have a society that becomes angry when our leaders want to pray. Now, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here. And it's certainly not all the members of society. As a matter of fact, I believe most members of our society probably are thankful when they know our leaders pray, whether they even understand what they're thankful to be thankful for or not. But you understand that what's happened is, is there, there is a, at least, I don't know how large it is, but there's a loud segment who has convinced people that those things are not right, they're not lawful, they're not the way it should be. And my question is, where, where is the church? Where are the people of God? Now, don't everybody go run and get a sign and go protest, because I, I, I personally don't believe, except on extremely rare occasion, in protesting. G Jesus didn't call us to be protesters, holding picket signs and 
telling everybody how wicked and evil the people inside that building are. That's not what Jesus called us to do. But he did call us to be salt and light. He did call us to discern the times that we're living in. He called us to hide this word in our heart. He called us to be filled with the Spirit of God, to understand that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of us. He's called us to know that. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, Brethren, I beg you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship. No longer being conformed to the world, but being transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. I believe man is triune, tripart, just like God is. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe man is triune in a sense, just like God is. I believe we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. And when you, and when I, was born again, in the twinkling of an eye, there was a part of me that was changed and transformed for all eternity. Never to go back to what it was before. My spirit was born again. Unfortunately, my body wasn't. But it will be one day. And it's not this body... You understand, there will be a semblance, but it's not going to be the old restored. Why? How do we know that? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So here we are, tripart beings. At the moment of my new birth, I am born again and I receive the Spirit of God. And my spirit is made in perfect harmony and unity. Married, made one with the Spirit of God. My body stays just the way it was. Still perishing day by day. But inwardly, the new man is what? Ah, it's being renewed day by day. And trapped between my spirit and my body, this is the way I like to think about it, trapped between my spirit and my body is my soul. It's the Greek word suke. It, it means the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. When Paul says... Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's not talking about get your spirit renewed, because your spirit's already been renewed. When did that happen? It happened the moment I got born again. But now that I'm born again, there is something of me that has to be renewed. I can't renew this thing. I can exercise it. I can eat right. I can take good care of it. I can make it last longer. It's like, kind of like your tires. You know, if you rotate your tires regularly, change your oil regularly, do regular maintenance on your car, it'll last a lot longer than if you just get in there and drive it 
like a bat out of you know where until it doesn't go anymore. There's, there's one way you can take care of your car in which it will last a lot longer than it will another way. Well, the same is with your body. You abuse your body, guess what? You're going to pay the price for abusing your body. But as well and as good as we might want to take care of this thing, we're never going to make it new. We're not going to make it go beyond a certain point. We're just not going to. But there's another part of me called my soul. The Bible commands me to renew. It's my mind. It's my will. It's my emotions. Well, what am I conforming it to? What am I renewing it to? I'm renewing it and conforming it to the reality of that life that's in me, Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God in me. That's what we're doing when we renew our minds. That's how we're no longer conformed to the world. Part of the problem in the church today is that we have forgotten. What, if, if I am forgetful, where's the problem? Is it because I have a pain in my hand? <laughs> no. If I'm forgetful, it's a problem with my mind. It's a problem with my mind. When my mom passed away, she was in a nursing home. And I could walk in the door, and if she wasn't in a good mood, you know what I would do? I'd go back out. I didn't even have to count to ten. I'd come back in, and she's like in a new world. Well, honey, how are you doing? Where have you been? Well, you know, 15 seconds ago, she was not a happy camper. The problem was not with her spirit. The problem wasn't even with her body. The problem was with her mind. You say, well, but her brain had... Yeah, yeah, I understand that. But, but Paul tells us to renew this thing. Why? Because if we don't renew it, we'll end up forgetting. You know what my mom did? My mom lived in her memories. And they were good memories, and I was thankful for that. This is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. This is what we see demonstrated with the children of Israel. This is what we see happening in our nation right now. We are forgetting who we are. We are forgetting our founding, our beginnings. As the church, where is our beginning? As a child of God, where is your beginning? It's in Christ. Your beginning is in Christ. And so, in Matthew 28, Jesus commands us. He commissions us. We can call it a commission. We can call it whatever we want. But, but the bottom line is, it's a commandment. Go ye therefore into all the nations and make disciples. Disciples are learners. They're not forgetters. If we as disciples do not continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ, you know what's going to happen? We'll forget. We'll revert back. This is why Paul says, uh-uh, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because God has got a good purpose that he wants to work out. In your life, 
in your family, in his church, in this city, in this state, in this nation, in this world. He's got a good purpose that he's going to work out. There's a lot of hard things happening. There's a lot of bad things happening. But I'm telling you what, God is bigger than the hard things. He's bigger than the bad things. He is. And his purpose stands above all of that. And when we talk about discipleship, we have to speak of discipleship in terms of discipling families. And and I think if you would take the time to look around at our nation, you will see that one of the things that is under the fiercest attack is our families. Whether the divorce rate in the church is really as high as the world, it doesn't matter. It's close enough for us to at least statistically say that it could be. It should be so far from the world's rate of divorce that it's not even a question. So don't worry about trying to split hairs over the margin of error in all the polls. It's too close. And it's too close, why? Because we have forgotten. Or, maybe we never knew in the first place. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul goes on, he says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord. Do you know how? I'm going to tell you, there are churches in America that would never even read that scripture from the pulpit any longer. It's the truth. It is so politically incorrect. It is so antiquated and outdated because it's it's not relevant anymore because we live in a different time, brother. We live in a different culture. That was for Paul's day, yes, but it's not for our day now. Really? These are the hard questions we need to ask ourselves, church. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to tell you what. That scripture makes a lot of people uncomfortable whether you want to admit it or not. And you know why it does? Because there's a lot of lousy men out there. I'm telling you what, couples hate to come to me and talk about their marriages. Because... Almost always, you know who I'll end up pointing to and focusing on? It's the man. And you know why? Because that's where the Scripture puts the responsibility. Now, women, that doesn't relieve you of your responsibility. You might have a good man, but you just can't submit because it's just not in your nature to do that. Well, you need to get over it. Are we going to live... Are we going to live according to the Scripture? Or are we going to justify whatever and call it God? Well, see, this is our problem. We now, 235 years after the founding of this nation, have come to, and you can see it, the church just goes right along with it. Do you know most of the Ivy League universities, Harvard, Princeton, 
Do you know those schools, you know why they were founded? They were seminaries. They were Bible colleges. You, you can't find any semblance of the Bible. I mean, they may still teach Bible, but I promise you they don't teach it, they don't teach it like that. They'll teach it and tell you why that Scripture doesn't matter anymore. But my question is, are we going to remember or are we going to be forgetful? We sing the nice song, I'll not grow that wicked skin, but really is our heart, are our hearts circumcised with the circumcision not made with hands? Are they? Husbands? Well, he goes on, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to go there right now. We'll, we'll talk more about this as we go on. But I want to I end this message today. And I know this isn't a, like a real good wrap-up, but it's okay. I want to I end this by re- reading to you an article that I wrote, and we'll upload this article onto the website. And this article is primarily written... It, well, it's written for everybody, but I, I'm really focusing on men in this article. It's called A Vision for Discipleship. And several weeks ago, I, I, I just I wrote this down as I was thinking. Uh, Jeff Kyle, actually, in, a, in, in our first meeting with, with all the new elders... And he asked this question of me, and he says, what, what is your vision for Christ Fellowship Church? It's a great question. And I really began to think about some things. And we have a vision statement on the website, and you know we did that numbers of years ago. But, but you know the reality is I, I should be able to, in a concise way, really communicate what my, as a pastor, what my vision is for the church. And that vision should be consistent with what the Scripture teaches us. And so I came up with this little statement. CFC is called to impact the city of Taylor, surrounding area, and beyond through discipleship that equips families and individuals to become an effective living witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our vision to disciple families, and that means husbands and wives, moms and dads, men and women, We must be discipled if our children are going to be discipled. We can't disciple children without parents being discipled. Now, there are exceptions to that rule, but I'm, I'm talking to you about the way God has ordained it and designed it, okay? I'm not talking to you about special circumstances and even the reality of our culture today. You know, the problem with our culture today is we have departed from the biblical model. And if we keep trying to fix problems apart from the biblical model, you know what's going to happen? 
our problems are going to get worse. So we're either going to return to the Scripture and the God of the Scripture, or we're, going to, we're just going to keep making things compoundly worse and worse and worse. It's kind of like the way they're trying to fix our economy. I mean, does this make sense to you? We're in massive debt, so what we need to do is spend more money. And that's going to fix it. That's like saying the balloon is about to burst, so what we need to do is put more air in the balloon so it won't burst. Do you know where that mentality comes from? I'm going to tell you what. You look at the problems in the culture, let's come back to the doorstep of the church. Because the church departed long ago trying to fix things with solutions that are not biblical. So either we're going to go back to the Bible... Or finally, the balloon's going to burst. And when the balloon bursts, then maybe that's when God will. Maybe that's what needs to happen. I don't know. But God knows. So that means doctors, lawyers, plumbers, electricians, ditch diggers, sweet streepers, homemakers, dressmakers, pastors, and parishioners must become disciples so that their children can become disciples too. A disciple is a learner, and learning begins first and foremost at home in the family. You say, I come from a broken home. It makes no difference. The home you raise your children in will be the home they learn in, for good or not. The home we raise our children in may not be the home we would have chosen, but it is the home we make it. We are not excused from raising and teaching our children just because life is not what we wish it to be. You may say, I'm single. Well, I say single or not, we have a call from the Lord to be and to make disciples. And the first order of business is to be a disciple, single, married, with or without children. The scripture speaks of God as a father as well as a father to the fatherless. Psalm 68, 5. How is it that God becomes a father to the fatherless? I believe it is in no small part through the love and commitment of those spiritual fathers God will raise up through discipleship in the church. This is the beauty and the blessing of living in community, of being in fellowship with the saints who are the body of Christ. It begins with a man. To disciple families, we must begin where God did, with the man. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, 7. God made Adam first, and he did it on purpose. Men, I wish it were easy as coming to church week in and week out and by osmosis you become the man, the husband, the father that God declares you are to be. From the beginning, God established a patriarchy. You know what a patriarchy is? It is a, it is a social institution. In society, it is, it is a society that is ruled by the father. I challenge you to go to scripture and find anywhere in scripture where God has set up anything but a patriarchy. Men, fathers, you are called to rule, to be the head. You are. God established a patriarchy. That simply means that men are to be the primary leaders in society under normal circumstances. Today, this flies in the face of conventional wisdom and political correctness. But God is neither conventionally wise nor politically correct. He is all wise and he is always correct. Amen? Men have a tendency to become passive while women have a tendency to become dominant. This is true. 
Think back to the garden. You read Genesis 3. We don't have time now, but you go read Genesis 3. And you'll see Adam in his passivity allowing Eve to have a discourse with the serpent. Who did the serpent go to first? He went to Eve. He bypassed the authority. Who was the passive party between Adam and Eve at the dawn of the fall? It was Adam. Who was the dominant one? It was Eve. And in his passivity, Adam allowed Eve to have discourse with the serpent and ultimately partook of the forbidden fruit in following her lead. Eve, in her dominance, took the initiative and contemplated the merits of the forbidden fruit and reasoned herself, though unsoundly, into indulging and so then passive Adam. God began the human race with a man. It was not good for man to be alone, so God created woman from his side. This can speak of many things in terms of the relationship between a man and a woman, but one undeniable truth is that God created man to be the head of woman. That's not bad. That is good for all. Our culture today has declared that bad. It's not bad. Why? Because this is what God has declared. And we have come to believe the lie. And so we are trying to rewrite the scripture and we're trying to re-justify things that, that can't be. God has ordained headship. The church will never get down to the business of making disciples as long as we have men choosing to be passive while women are left to be dominant. This has nothing to do with who is better but it has everything to do with who is the head. I read to you Ephesians 5, through 24. Why did God call wives to submit? Because he's called husbands to be the head. You may wonder what all this has to do with discipleship. And herein lies the problem. We have failed to see the importance of first things and their order along with their ordained operation. The order and the operation of headship are important. And we know how important it is today because we see that it has been out of order for so long, we see what the culture has become. Women, I don't want you to take from this anything I'm not saying. Men, I want you to take everything from this that I'm saying. I'm saying, men, if we don't rise up and become the men who will stand strong in the church... This is why our nation is failing right now. This is it. Thank God for women. Thank God for women who have taken that role to pray. But really, it should be the men that are leading the way, not the women. The theology of me. I believe we are so consumed with a me-centered theology that we do not recognize it. We have defaulted to the belief that whatever needs to be done to minister to me becomes justifiable in the face of passive resistance. We can read what the scripture is telling us, but we somehow come to believe that the end justifies the means. In other words, it does not really matter how we achieve the vision as long as the vision is achieved. God's vision cannot be achieved apart from the ordained means. Any attempt to achieve a God-given vision apart from the God-ordained means is nothing more than an illusion. This is what Paul said in Timothy. He said it has an appearance of godliness, but it denies the power. So does the end justify the means? It absolutely 
does not. And so when we try to attempt to meet our perceived need with anything that is not God-ordained, it's robbery. And God does not bless robbery. He just doesn't do it. We can't rob the Scripture from what they are. The church cannot rewrite the Word of God and say, this is okay and that's okay. It's okay for homosexuals to stand in the pulpit and declare the gospel because that notion that it's wrong is out of date. No, it's not out of date. We're robbing. We are stealing. And God's not going to bless it. So when we look at families, here are some examples of this robbery or this the end justifies the means. Now think about this. It doesn't matter if I go to church as long as my wife takes the kids. I would go to church if my wife would go with me. I would go to church, but I'm too busy. Teaching my kids about God is the responsibility of the church. I'd go to church, but my kids don't want to go. I'd go to church, but it's not worth the hassle. Here's one I just threw in for extra. Education is the responsibility of the public schools. Wrong, men. Men, you're responsible for teaching your children. Men, you're responsible for their education, whether they go to a public school or not. Men, you're responsible to lead your family as the spiritual head of your home. You're responsible, men. And there are too many wives and mothers who have become responsible because there is a man who has become passive and has not taken his proper role. Uh, you guys probably would have never come here today had you known what I was going to talk to you about. See, I just tricked you into staying long enough to hear what I, what I really had to say. So the church needs men. All of these things are examples of this me theology in full force. God in himself is not reason enough. It's my spouse, it's my kids, it's my busy schedule. If it were more convenient, if it was more this, if it was more that. But for me, it is not. Therefore, I won't. Don't say I can't, say I won't. So men in their proper place. The church needs men to rise up and take their proper place. Men are called to lead, not default into passive resistance while the wife and mother become dominant in the face of a man forfeiting his place. The, the, the discipleship of families must begin with the discipleship of men. The discipleship of all men, male and female, should begin with the discipleship of fathers. The discipleship of a child first begins with the father being a disciple. The model of our leadership is Christ in his humble strength. Men, if we would be a model of Christ's leadership in, in, in strong humility, our wives wouldn't have a problem submitting to us. They shouldn't have a problem submitting to us. The question is never whether the child will be a disciple. Do you understand this? We're not, we're not debating whether children will be discipled or not. That is not the question because every child is going to become a disciple. The question is, what is it that they will learn? In what are they being discipled? What kind of disciple will the child be? The truth is one way or another, every child is a disciple from the day they are born. The question is, will they grow up learning of and following Christ or another way? Fathers, you hold that answer by the grace and the power of God. It is an awesome responsibility. Amen. 
What if there is no father in the home? Then the church that is committed to disciple men in order to obey the scripture is to raise up nursing fathers for the fatherless God has placed in their care. We see this lived out in the life of Paul and his spiritual children. Discipleship is the responsibility of the church and it begins with the men of the church in order to affect the families of the church in order to affect the world around us. If we do not do this, we are disobedient and without excuse. Walking in our land. Too much of the church is content with coming on Sunday morning and then going back to real life. Too much of our Christianity is based on what happens for approximately two hours one morning a week. Our faith and so our relationship with God is not something we experience in a two-hour time slot. It is the life which we live each and every day in every place our foot treads. That, this, this walk of faith, this is real life 24-7. This is real faith. So God told Abraham in Genesis 13-17 to walk through the land for I give it to you. And so as the seed of Abraham through faith, we should walk through our land, our workplaces, our shopping places, our homes, our neighborhoods, each day as we live our lives and know that God has called us to be salt and light in the land he has caused us to dwell in, in the land he has commanded us to walk in. Colossians 2.6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now this walking through does not look like some ritual of literally walking our streets in public places and claiming them for God. This is walking through. This walking through is our living in. It is our working in. Our relating in the places and with the people of our land. It is praying for our land and the people of that land. Our greatest influence comes in the daily living, the daily walking of our life. That is how people know you and come to trust you and you become an instrument in the hand of God for turning them to Him. It is in our land that the battles are won and lives are transformed for the glory of God. It is in the land that the Spirit moves as you move through the land, possessed by and filled by the Spirit. That is the way God has ordained it to be. This is what we're called to be, church. This is what we're called to be. And if we have forgotten that, then we need to be reminded this is who we're called to be. This is what Jesus died for. This is what he ascended for. This is why he poured out the Spirit. This is why he preserved his word for us today that the gospel would go forth. To make disciples. To be disciples. Listen, don't dare worry about making a disciple until you determine in your own heart what kind of disciple you are. And the first order of making disciple is to examine what kind of disciple we are. Because whatever the kind of disciple you are, that's the kind you're going to reproduce. And we got too many people reproducing the wrong kind of disciples. We got people calling themselves disciples that don't even believe the word of God anymore. 
Men, that responsibility falls first and foremost on us. It's not our wife's responsibility to pray us into the kingdom, to get us where we need to be, to fix us. Men, we need to take the responsibility. We need to rise up and we need to lead the way God has ordained it to be. Politically incorrect, yes. True, yes. And we better start embracing the truth. And this nation will never embrace the truth if the church in this nation does not first. I'm not called to the nation, but I'm called to the church. And I'm not called to every congregation, but I'm called to this congregation. And if we will mind our own business and begin to take responsibility that is truly ours and lay down the responsibility we've taken that is not truly ours. There's a lot of wives and mothers that are taking responsibility that God never meant for them to carry. Husband, father, they're not going to lay it down until you take it up. And I'm challenging you men to take it up. To relieve your wives of responsibilities that they should not be carrying. Whew, it's going to be a fun week in my house this, this week. See, it comes to me. My wife's carrying things that she shouldn't be carrying. So it, 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 before it hits you, just know it hits me, okay? But if we're not courageous enough to stand up and tell the truth, then we'll just all sit by and watch our nation go to hell while we have a good time in church every week, I guess. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what we're here for. We're here to make a difference. We're here to make a difference. And we're not going to make a difference until we start embracing and living and walking in the truth. Let's all stand. Yes, sir. We already did. You missed it. We've done it twice. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did it. We did it twice. Father, I thank you for for your word. Lord, the word challenges us. But Lord, your word is truth. And as much as it may challenge us, it sets us free. Father, I pray that we would embrace the truth of your word, that we would truly be set free. Lord, we would be the church that you've called us to be. That men would be the men, the husbands and the fathers you've called them to be. That we would be delivered of our passivity and we would rise up and take the proper place that we've been called to take. Lord, we pray for our nation today. Lord, we pray for this state today. Lord, the state is literally burning up with drought. Lord, I don't believe that's just an accident. I don't believe the things that are happening are just accidents and coincidences. Lord, these are things that, Lord, you are causing us to see and manifesting, Lord, for the church to decide whether she's going to rise up and take her proper place or whether we're just going to continue on in our, in our passive resistance and our compromising of the truth. And I pray, God, that you would deliver us from that. I pray, God, that you would deliver your church from that.
you would deliver us from a me-centered theology and cause us to be the body of Christ that you died to birth. That we would rise up in this earth, God, and stand as one man and declare that name that is above every other name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that we would do that, Father, in our lives personally, that we would do it in our families, we would do it in our churches. We would do it, Lord, in the land that you've caused us to walk in. And I pray that we would be a people that would walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Not I, but Christ tonight. This should be the last uh, lesson. We're going to try to wrap her up tonight.